I think it's funny because people go, they move to Los Angeles and they say, I'm gonna, if I'm not famous in six months, you know, and I find it so funny because you have to have the drive, you have to have the talent, you have to work on your talent, but then you also have to um, not be so prideful. You know what I mean? That is Stephanie Panicello. My name is Alex Crow, and you are listening to Creative Pursuits, the podcast that examines the intersection of art, communications, and technology. So my guest this week is a bona fide video games superstar. Stephanie Panicello has lent her voice and acting skills to blockbuster game titles like Final Fantasy, Tomb Raider, Gears of War, and Doom. On the strength of this talent, she landed her most visible role to date, starring in 2019's biggest release, the reboot of legendary smash hit Resident Evil 2. Now, if you've been following along with recent episodes of this podcast, you know very well that the gaming industry is now a $43 billion enterprise employing more than 220,000 people across all 50 states, making it bigger than the film and music businesses combined. Resident Evil 2 debuted in January 2019, shipping 3 million copies. It was an instant hit, and as of March 2020, has achieved sales of over 7.2 million units to the tune of $432 million. The Resident Evil franchise has a long history, dating back to 1996. It's also spawned a series of major motion pictures, or movies, Overall, the franchise has generated $9 billion in inflation-adjusted sales. The new reboot is a, a testament to the story's staying power and its fans are legion. Stephanie Panicello plays the hero, Claire Redfield, who is thrust into the zombified world of Resident Evil while searching for her brother, Chris. So today, we're gonna hear all about how Stephanie broke into the business and how she's worked her way to its peaks. And we'll talk about all the different facets inherent to acting in video games. It's not just vocal talent, and Stephanie has all the requisite stunt and fight training. She tells us about the technology-driven side of production, motion capture in volumetric studios, and upcoming forays into virtual reality production. On today's episode, we really get into demystifying the process of making a video game when it comes to talent. Oh yeah, I also asked Stephanie to spill the beans on Code Veronica. So I'm really looking forward to it, but before we get to our conversation, a word from our sponsor, Team People. So if you're in the gaming industry, you need to know about Team People. They are a really cool company. They are a creative services company equipped with the technical and creative talent you need to complete your project on time and on budget. With a background in production, they know the critical skills necessary at every stage of the process, from development to QA to marketing and more. They can help staff the contingent workforce for big studios and brands, development studios, as well as in-house agencies for non-endemic brands entering the gaming industry. With their scalable model, they can provide a single person, an entire team, or work with the team you have in place. And Team People provides benefits and compliance. So join forces to improve the gaming workforce together. You can find them online at teampeople.tv. You can also check them out on Twitter, at teampeopletv, no dot. And now, let's get to my conversation 
with Stephanie Panicello. So as far as um, my love of games, that did start, I think the very first game I probably played was like on Atari at like my cousin's house or something, wow. which is before my time technically. But, um, but then uh, our first console was actually the original PlayStation. Right. And I remember my parents bringing this in, it was 1995, whenever it came out. And, um, and they brought this in and we were like, oh, but this isn't like Nintendo. Our friends have Nintendo. Right. And then realized it was gonna like change everything. Right. So yes, yeah, so my love of it all started there. It was like the original Rayman game and the original Tekken. Um, it's kind of where it all began for me personally, but the real love of everything was once I got into like loving Tomb Raider. Okay. That's when I was like hooked. So, <laughs> so Tomb Raider kind of indoctrinated you into being just a devout video game aficionado and what drew you, I mean, then how did you get, how did you get into voiceover work? Was it just that you wanted to be, you saw like Lara Croft and wanted to be a part of that? kind of world? How did you find your way into this new arena? Well, you know, funny enough, I had no idea that this is what I was going to do for a living. Like no idea whatsoever. So I actually went to school for political science and international affairs. I got like, you know, my um, concentrations were in like philosophy and sociology and anthropology. Like that was all the stuff that I wow, loved. Yeah. Um, and so I got my, my, you know, uh, my degrees in that. And then I was going to go to law school and this whole thing. And then I realized that it wasn't for me and it just wasn't, um, there was a love of helping others that was always there, which was like the whole NGO side of it. I loved, but I wasn't being really called to. And so I actually came out to Los Angeles on vacation. And while on vacation, um, my mother was the one that kind of said, you need to go, you know, pursue acting and this and this and this. And anyways, long story short, from a girl with a suitcase on vacation turns into a full-on career <laughs> with all this. So I ended up, um, you know, uh, I didn't have a car. I just had, all I had was drive. I knew what I wanted to do and I knew I had to get this done. Right. Wow. And so, um, I started, you know, the first step that I ever took was I, I started doing background on set. Right. Yeah. And I was like, well, well, how does this work? Cause I need to learn. Right. I need to know the steps, right? I was like, the easiest thing I could do is get myself on set. I was like, great, they feed me. And I'm gonna be in there with directors and assistant directors and producers are sometimes there. Anyways, it was a great start. I don't recommend ever staying right. in that. And I'm thankful I didn't. But um, I ended up uh, working at a Starbucks for a very short stint of time. Right. And in that time, I had a customer who would come in and, uh, and he would always see me writing on my breaks, writing and doing stuff. And he's like, what are you, what are you doing out here? And at that time I was doing stand-up comedy because I thought, okay, if I can do stand-up, write my own material, right. perform my own material and fail miserably and still get back up, then I can handle anything. It's true. Right. <laughs> so I started that. And then when he saw me, he was like, well, have you ever thought about voiceover? And I was like, well, you know, my mom wants, you know, my mom's the one who's been pushing me to do acting. And I've loved it since I was a child. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I was already loving it. I just had no idea you could make a career out of it. But uh, he's like, have you ever thought about voiceover? I was like, yeah, but it's really difficult to get into. 
Um, Fair point. And he's like, well, if you ever, right? Yeah. And I was like, if, he's like, if you ever want to come in and just watch how a session goes. And I was like, absolutely. And so I started by actually sitting in and watching some of like the masters perform. Right. And then a position opened up for their side on the production side as like a note taker and script supervisor and all this. And that's how I got my foot in. Right. And one day an actress just didn't show up and the director said, Hey, get on in there. And I was like blown away. Um, but, uh, but that was the start. <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. And there's a, a huge lesson in humility here. I mean, you, you just wanted to get involved, get your hands dirty any way you could. You basically took probably the only job that was availed to you a ba as a background extra. Um, oh. And then I didn't know anything. Right. So, but but <laughs> yeah. even still, it's like you you never know. I mean, you are on set as an extra, as a doing background, you're on set, and you never know like what interaction is going to come up that's going to get you in the door, even to just I mean, whatever it is. I mean, you ended up working, you were a barista and you met this person, and it's not like he it's not like this person was like, Oh, here's the keys to the kingdom. Now you're a star. No, nope. like they let you kind of see how this all worked. And then you st still probably had a more low level, low tiered production job. Again, this isn't, this isn't like the glamor of no. being Claire Redfield. Uh, right. So, but no, that's yeah. I mean, and that's what it is too. Like, I think it's funny because people go, they move to Los Angeles and they say, I'm going to, if I'm not famous in six months, you know, right. and it, it, I find it so funny because, you know, for me, like I, I, what I realized was that this whole entire industry was a giant chessboard mm. and there was no one way to go about it. And so you kind of had to like move piece by piece. Right. And, you know, it was an understanding of saying yes and busting your butt right. and wanting to learn. And of course also, um, having, what do they always say? It's when, uh, opportunity is when, um, preparation, preparation meets opportunity. Exactly. You know what I mean? And that's exactly what it was. It was just a constant, like, okay, I need to do this. All right. I'm going to move forward this way. I'm going to move in this direction. Right. And you know, um, I feel like that's, that's what it is. Like you have to have, I think you have to have the drive, you have to have the talent, you have to work on your talent, but then you also have to, um, not be so prideful. You know what I mean? It takes a certain humbleness to start as working like in low level production when your end goal is to be talent. Well, and that's what I, so the way I saw it, so uh, the reason why it connects to also just to backtrack a little bit from the, um, from going from working background and stuff for me, it was all about getting information. So I had a notebook with me mm. 24 seven and I would meet people and take down notes and learn from every single person there. Right. Because for me, knowledge was the biggest thing. And I knew how valuable that knowledge was, yep. you know? So some of those people may have learned something that took them 10 years to learn. And I was willing to ask questions and they were willing to answer questions, you know? Yep. And so that helped. Um, but the reason I actually worked as a barista was because since I didn't have a car, I ended up missing a bus one day and I was two hours late to set. And that same company that had me on the agency that I was doing background with 
suspended me. Mm. Even though the show wanted me to come right. back, they suspended me for three months. But that was the best thing that ever happened to me because that led me to working as a barista, which then led me to actually getting my foot in the door. So like, I find it so funny because anytime that like, I know it sounds cheesy to say, but every time a door closes, some big one's going to open. So just don't fight it. <laughs> I mean, like, Completely. And, and also, and it's also what you said earlier, just say yes. Right. So it's like mm -hmm. it, the door closes, the next one opens. You worked production, you worked a production job. How long were you doing that until you did get this break where you got to, to enter the booth and be the talent? Well, that first job actually happened very quickly. Um, it was a few months in and it wasn't like a big role or anything. It was just for like non-playable right. characters. I still remember it was a little boy, a little girl and a tourist is what I had to play. And it was for uh, Lightning Returns, Final Fantasy Lightning Returns. Oh, nice. But that blew my mind because I had also that same director who gave me an opportunity. I went and I took his workshop class because I wanted to see what it was like. And, you know, sitting behind on the other side and watching and you got to you know, you're not the star in that time. And you, and respecting that, I feel like I actually gained a lot of respect from my peers and from directors and, you know, um, clients and things like that, because right. they would see that and be like, oh, I respect her. And then, and then all of a sudden I would show up and I would be the talent and they would be like, oh, that's Stephanie. And then I would perform the video like, oh my gosh, right. Stephanie can do that. I had no idea right. because, you know, you kind of learn how to put on this hat and put on that hat. Um, but it did take a good, uh, let's see, cause I've been probably, so I've been at this for about seven and a half years, but I wouldn't say that I didn't dedicate myself until probably four and a half or five, probably four and a half to five years ago. And it was, um, some really good advice that a friend gave me actually. Um, she was like, cause she knew this one actress and before she became really big, um, she was always, you know, she had another job, right? right? She always had a day job or something. Well, the second that she decided to quit her day job and completely focus on paying bills by doing her perf like performance and acting right. was when it happened. And so that's what I did. I actually ended up like stopping day jobs. Anything that was not related to my industry, I stopped doing. Yeah. And, um, and it made me narrow in and focus so much. So I started doing more voiceover. I started hosting shows. Um, you know, I started performing more, acting more, you know, doing, uh, whether it be short films or, right. you know, whatever it was. And I just started narrowing in more and more and more. Um, and honestly, your resume builds so quickly. You don't even realize it. Like when you're in the groove and you just keep moving, like that's what changed everything. Like, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're meeting people and one, one thing leads to the next. What, so tell me about your hosting, these hosting gigs. Yeah. So I started, um, when I first, first started, I was doing like red carpets and things like that. And then like live shows, right. um, that was like live events or whatever. Um, I paid my dues. Right. I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, but then it became doing stuff uh, that was very centered towards video games. It ended up actually going towards, um, you know, I think I used to do when I first started, I was like 107 facts about boom, whatever game it was, you know, <laughs> right. and um, they were long, yeah. very long videos, exhausting, right. but I did them. Um, and then it just kept moving more and more and more. And then it, you know, it became, um, 
you know, other live events, you know, for different things, or then it became interviews, you know, then it became, um, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Eventually, like I started doing stuff for like Hot Wheels, you know, with one of like the, the last bigger ones I did or with Gameology is another really big website nice. online. Um, and that was so fun because it just, what I realized was, uh, that it becomes fun when you when you don't feel hungry for things. Yeah. When it's not a hunger because you're starving, it's because you just love it. Right. You know what I mean? And if you're talking to people, like, I mean, obviously the biggest advice I can get with hosting and with just anything is like networking, right. you know? But networking is not, um, I don't like networking. I like building friendships. For sure. So, um, so the second I looked at everything like that, it was like all my jobs just became better jobs. Right. <laughs> sure. Like, networking, so. networking suggests that there's an ulterior motive. It's just exactly. connecting, right? It's just trying to connect with people, get to know people and, and build relationships. How did you lock down this iconic role, Claire Redfield? Um, so, I mean, it's kind of similar to, um, you know, just going through, you know, different audition processes and stuff like that. Um, now there was a difference between, you know, um, getting the role and not getting the role. So now this particular role was, uh, they obviously wanted the performance ability, but they also wanted a physicality there. So that was an extra thing that I, you know, happened to actually take, you know, um, like basic stunt training I would take. I've also done some like uh, basic um, kind of like gun training and things like that right. and having an understanding of that. So there was a mixture of all of those things that were going on in there. And they also don't tell you that this is what you're auditioning for. Really? So they didn't, they didn't say like, hey, this is for, you know, Resident Evil. Right. This is a big IP. They don't say any of that. But it was pretty obvious when I <laughs> put my hands up and say, don't shoot. Right. <laughs> right. That's like one of the most like iconic situations ever. Right. And then there was, I think there was a dialogue and I, you know, that's her, uh, that's her first say, scene, right? When she runs into Leon, she says, don't shoot. Yep. Yeah. That's the first interaction she has with Leon. And of course there's stuff she says on her own beforehand, but that's like such an iconic moment between the two. So right. the second I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, I know what this is for. <laughs> that's so cool. So you've been on both sides of the the booth, I guess you could say, um, uh, and obviously you've you've done your fair share of on camera work as well. But you mentioned that you started in games about seven and a half years ago, which means that you were already in the industry in 2014 when kind of a, a big event in this world went down, GamerGate. Mm -hmm. What's your experience been being both in production? And then also as talent in the booth, in terms of just seeing that culture, have you experienced this toxic culture? Have you seen it shift um, since the time of Gamergate? What's your experience been? Well, it's funny. So when that first started, I think was when I was finally dedicating myself. I was like right in that shift of when I was starting to dedicate right. myself more as an, as an, as an actress. Um, but I've been fortunate enough to my relationships and experiences not be toxic within the gaming community. I personally haven't experienced that like in that sense. Um, the, the things that I have seen shifts in is more the gaze of how they actually portray females in 
games. Hmm. So that there's been a shift and I have seen that and that I'm thankful for because even with my favorite franchise with Tomb Raider, like that was a huge shift. You know, I, I loved Lara, you know, back when she looked the way she did and when she was a little bit more objectified right. and it is what it is, you know, right. I still loved her. You know, she probably was part of the motivation of why I ended up studying, you know, getting a concentration in like anthropology. Wasn't she? In it? Yeah, <laughs> like, I was going to say that earlier. Wasn't she an anthropologist or a geologist yeah, or something? Yeah. She, like all of that stuff was all stuff that she studied. Right. You know, I have a fascination with rock climbing. I love rock climbing. You know, that probably also very much influenced it. Hmm. But, um, but I have seen that shift because even with the reboot version of everything, the gaze is completely different. Right. So the camera, the, the positioning of how they have it on everything is just totally different. Right. There's not butt shots, boob shots, like none of that exists within that game. So that alone can show you where that shift happened. Mm. And I don't know if it was Gamergate necessarily that caused that because I think that game came out in 2000. 13 or something okay. like that. I think you, when it's like rebooted. Okay. Um, but there has been that shift, you know, and then there has been, I feel more lead female characters, you know, I think there is more voice for female characters. So all that has definitely happened, but I've been very fortunate to not have to experience the toxic nature. Right everything. Um, so you haven't experienced it yeah. working in production. You haven't experienced it um, when you're in the booth. Do you, I, I mean, you now have this kind of this perch as Claire Redfield. Mm -hmm. Do you interact with fans and, and maybe if, it, if it's not toxic, what is that relationship like? Okay. So now we're talking specifically the fan to actor situation right. okay that's a little different um if we're talking in the non-professional setting on uh, the professional setting i've never really had any issues in that setting that's always gonna happen um i feel like unfortunately when you get onto the internet like people just feel like hey i have this great like cloak of i can do whatever the heck i want right. when i wear this when i'm on the internet yeah. so um i've actually been able to um, kind of foster a really wholesome group of following, which is really crazy. And, you know, a couple of friends of mine have seen this and are like, how do you have such a wholesome group? Yeah. You know, like, why do these people are so wholesome that follow you? And the reason being, I think, is that one, I portray myself in a way that like completely respects myself. So I don't necessarily have a situation like that. So if I ever do and somebody crosses a line, right. um, I'm very straightforward. I will literally say, hey, hey, I don't like that. Or hey, you cross the line, you don't have to be here. Right. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and it's hard because I think some people are afraid to do that. And it, it can be difficult to kind of foster um, that following, you know, and some people don't understand the relationship between like, being a fan and being a friend and that gets a little confusing right. for people. So they might cross that. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me has just been being really straightforward. Yeah. That, you that know forthrightness I mean? certainly and and drawing the boundary. Oh, I am not afraid to draw a boundary. Like I'm not. <laughs> so, and I think that's, that's been a really big thing, but you know, it does exist you know, the Gamergate stuff, if you want to talk in that setting, I'm sure still exists within the fan to, sure. you know, um, right. actor relationship. But yeah. It's on us, unfortunately, to- Well, that's, that's great that you've been <laughs> able to cultivate such an, uh, like a nice, a nice following 
with with all the fans because I know that there are so many out there. I mean, so I guess before we go on to there's there's two things I want to ask. So one, I want to pivot back to just the motion capture work. You mentioned the physicality that they were looking for someone with a degree of athletic prowess because it's not just about the emotion in your voice and being able to convey, you know, realistically the fact that you have a zombie horde descending upon you and whatnot. So do, are they, they put all of the different sensors on you? How, how does, what does that look like? And how does the mocap affect your acting? Because I'm, I'm, I'm sure that if you are doing the, the physicality, it still is a little awkward with this, like machine, these machines affixed all over your body, right? I mean, what is that like? I mean, I'm a robot. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely different. So the way that motion capture works for, you know, everyone who's listening who may not understand that, right, right. is uh, it pretty much, so I wear a suit. The suit is uh, typically a black suit. Sometimes it's got colors on it. That doesn't affect anything. Right. And it's got these little white balls that um, are picking up uh, they're creating almost like they kind of like shimmer. And so there's cameras all throughout what we call the volume. So volume, and the volume capture dome that you're in. It's not a dome. It's an actual room. Okay. So it is a room. Um, and the room will have like hundreds of cameras all over it. Okay. Right. And so it's picking up all that data and that data has like certain points on the body. Right. So like, it'll be like on my arm, on my wrist, you know, wherever it might be. And that creates a skeleton. That skeleton then is placed underneath the, um, the actual CGI image of the character that they've created. So in this case, they had a model that they got a 3D image of, and then they place my body skeleton all into the, like where that body is. So anytime I move my body, that happens. The same goes for the face. Right. So they would do that with the face. And so anytime that my cheeks would go up because I'm smiling or something that, that you know, would do it as well. And then we have obviously the... Um, you know, the mic on as well. So all of that is a lot to carry um, because you've got like a whole head apparatus going yeah. on. Um, and then you've got batteries on you, which is also, you know, powering the different things. So you've got cables. Um, when you're in the you know, volumetric room, are you, act, are you, you mentioned there's a microphone. Are, do they use the, the audio that they pick up when you're acting in there? And are you in there with another actor? Yes. So they are, there are other actors there um, and they are picking up that audio. So imagine that, that mic is almost like a boom mic, you know, same as like if you were shooting a, a normal film or a right. television show, right? Except you have it on your actual like face cam. Right. Um, and so they are picking up all of that stuff. There are other actors there. We don't have necessarily like full sets created, right. but in, in real time, sometimes they'll actually draw out so they can map out where certain things are. So if I look up on the screen, I can see my character in real time inside of a room or within the car or whatever it might be. So there are props and things there. So it's honestly just like being on set of right. like a film or something like that. The difference is that there's extra work so like for some people, you know, some actors are not a huge fan because they have to use their imagination for everything with this, yeah. you know, yeah. like we have to imagine that the car is there, that, you know, uh, we're passing by this particular thing. The it's liquor not, like, is actual... about to decapitate you. 
Yeah, like, you know, all of that stuff has to be imagined. Um, you know, also eye lines are different, you know, because a creature might be really large. Right. And so we have to stare at a certain thing for an eye line, you know, and so there are a lot of differences and things that go on there. And it's funny because anytime that there's like a technical issue, you have to go back into what we call T-pose, you right. know? And so, um, and so for me, like, I just keep my eyes closed. I keep my eyes closed when they have to adjust things, you know what I mean? And I just stay in the mood and like be in the moment of right. whatever's happening and then just go right back into it. That must be so, terrifying if they cut like when Mr. X is chasing you and you're just like <laughs> locked in that scary place for a few seconds. What's gonna happen? That's right. No, yeah. So so you're you're acting with Leon. Do they have, I'm guessing they don't have like a a, a person of like enormous stature, like for like a Mr. X like chasing you around you can just I mean do do they bring in all of these different actors to play out these scenes yes I mean there are different actors for specific things so we have um, so for instance uh G you know Dr. Birkin he does you know he is an actual actor that goes from Dr. Birkin into turning into G and so any scenes that are what we call the cut scenes which um happen between gameplay that are pretty much if you cut it together would be just a, a really long movie right. Um, those are the scenes that we're doing in the volume that we're doing performance capture for. Okay. So anything that is not in those cut scenes is strictly usually going to be ADR, Got it. right? So that's going to be stuff that we'll just take voice for. Um, so there won't, like we don't have, there's not a cut scene with a liquor actually in it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's all ADR. So um, that would all be afterwards and they'll be like, Hey, Stephanie, so I'm in the booth now, right? right? No volume, just a voice recording. They'll be like, hey, so uh, you've just been, you know, bitten on the neck, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, react to that. Now on your stomach. And every single sound, every effort is different. So like if I'm bitten in my neck versus bitten on my back versus bitten on my leg, you better hear that. Right. That's right. <laughs> you know? so, That's cool. Yeah. So Stephanie, we've, we've, we've talked about Resident Evil a good amount now. Obviously, I'm a big fan, and there are millions of other big Resident Evil fans, but you're an actor. You aren't just Claire Redfield. Can you tell us about some of the other work that you've done? I know, I know Trials of Mana came out recently, and that's, that's a really cool Square Enix title. What was that experience like? Yeah, so the really awesome thing about Trials of Mana is that it's kind of the like little brother or little sister to um, all the Final Fantasy stuff. Mm. So it's almost this beautiful fusion of like Final Fantasy meets um, like Zelda right. or something like that, right? So it's really, it's, it's colorful, it's fun. It's another, um, it is a remake of the original, but it was never made in the U.S. Mm. So, um, so they was actually only for the Japanese audience. So this is the first time that it was brought over. It ended up doing exceptionally well. Um, I actually play um, the fairy, literally her name is fairy, and she follows you throughout the entire game. Um, she doesn't sound like Claire, so she's not going to be yelling at you right. <laughs> or like cussing or anything right. like that. But um, she's a really, really awesome, like just great character, um, you know, and it's nice to also see that, you know, remakes are being made. But uh, just to go back to um, Resident Evil, like, Resident Evil has been known now to create what a template should look like for a remake, right? Right. So now kind of everyone is like using that, like, if you're going to do it, this is the way to do it the right way. So that it feels like a completely fresh right. game and new, but within that, so, so that's been really fun. Um, and then, um, 
you know, I've obviously worked on Gears of War. I actually got to play um, as uh, Lara Croft. I, I did her motion capture. So eight-year-old me who loved Lara, oh my God. you know, realized that she was going to get to do the mocap as Lara for Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Like they have like this big cinematic trailer. So um, even though it's only for the trailer, it's pretty much everything that Lara is known for. I got to do in that like short bit. Amazing. You know? It came full oh, it circle. Blew my mind. So is there anything yeah. is there anything else on the horizon that hasn't come out yet? Um, anything that you can share with us? That I can share? Not all of them, but there are probably a good four or five different titles of things that are going to be coming wow. out. One of them that I can mention a little bit is um, there is a, it's a virtual reality game. It's my first virtual reality game that I have you know, acted in. Um, and it's my first Latina character. So it's the first time ever that I've had a chance to do this. It's in English, but she does have, you know, things that she says in Spanish as well. She's Colombian, which I happen to be Colombian. So I've never seen any representation like that before. Mm. So that was really cool. And she's playable. Um, and that game is actually going to be played alongside with Jane Lynch. Um, she actually, you know, she's the actress in Glee and Marvelous Miss Maisel. And she's just an amazing comedian. Um, that, um, you know, she plays, I believe, the captain within the game oh. and stuff, too. So you are seeing those big titled, you know, actors. Same yeah. with, like, when I was on Gears of War, we had Dave Bautista was in there, you know. Right. Um, we ha also had the cast of Terminator, you know what I mean? Like, of the new Terminator. We had a bunch of people in there that are from the cast of Terminator. Wow. Um, so there's all kinds of stuff going on. And you can't, you can't share the title, the title of that one. Of the other one? Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. We'll just have to look so out. We'll just have to look out yeah. for it. Follow you on social media and whatnot. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, the, lips are sealed. It, that's, so, that's so exciting, though. That's really exciting. That's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, so very cool stuff coming up. So I guess my next question that I want to ask you is about the video game industry at large and kind of its standing within culture. So why in your estimation you've been in the industry working on really big projects why do you feel that games aren't as respected at this point as as movies i mean video games the gaming industry brings in more money than the film and music industries combined they also grant people who indulge in them a greater level of interactivity we are seeing big actors starting to enter into 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 games like with the death stranding game had some had some big stars far cry 6 etc why why do you think that is and that that games don't get that respect they don't garner that respect and do you see that changing in the in the future i think it depends on who you're talking to <laughs> fair point i really do because um you know, I think that there's a younger, quote unquote, younger audience, you know, that kind of grew up with video games, right. you know? So I think that, you know, like I have, my audience ranges anywhere from, you know, 40 year olds to, you know, teenagers. Yeah. Um, and so it just kind of depends on who you're talking to. I also think it just has to do with the fact that people um, aren't as comfortable sometimes with learning 
certain technologies and things. Right. I think that if people actually were introduced that at a younger age, they probably would have a fascination with it, which I think we'll end up seeing, right. you know? Um, but I also, you know, I also believe that, um, I, even as actors, I mean, I hate to tell my best secret is like working in games and animation and all that is the best, honestly. Like, I don't think that actors even know that, you know, there's a lot of actors I come across and they had no idea that it would take them forever to, you know, create a relationship with a certain casting director to finally get those three lines right. in a co-star role, you right. know what I mean? Versus like getting to be, you know, a lead or a large character in a game and having more consistent work. That's not something that's really well known. Um, I also think that, you know, from the actor perspective, it has a lot to do with, you know, um, is there residuals? Is there this? Is there all this stuff, right? right? So, but from the mainstream side of it, I honestly just think that there, the audience maybe just hasn't been focused in a way that um, has opened it up to a lot of people. And I think we're going to start seeing that more. You do. So I think that's why, yeah, I, that's why I do think that we're seeing more females you know, starting to actively partake in video games and enjoy video games and all that. Cause I think it was a little bit kind of, um, aimed towards a male audience, you know, Absolutely. and I think we're starting to see a shift, you know, sure. and as we represent, you know, also representing more races and, you know, obviously the different sexes and everything that's when we start seeing that there's more people wanting to play video right. games and being interested in it. And there's all different kinds of games too. Right. There's stuff for everybody, you know, right. like everything that you're playing on your phone, that's a video game. Sure. It's it, mobile game is a video game. For sure. You know? No, I mean, it's, it's the interest it seems like is, is definitely there and it's incumbent on the people who are kind of, who are in charge to make sure that they're, they're holding up their end. But also a really cool thing about the industry now is it's democratized in a way this same with the film industry is, is where, there's there's these programs that people can kind of start designing their own games, which is really exciting. And even if it is just a handheld game, you know, people can do the the UX, the UI. Uh, I don't even necessarily know all the ins and outs of doing it, but I know that that people on a small scale are creating their own games, and some of these are going viral. And it's it's a really exciting time to be in this space. All right, so I would be remiss if I did not ask you this question. Okay. What's going on with Code Veronica? <laughs> Honestly, nothing that I know okay. of. <laughs> right on. It would be awesome if there was a continuation. I know people are constantly talking about it. It would be fantastic. Do they ask so you that? Do you we'll get that see. question a lot? Oh my gosh, all the time. Oh, I love because people always ask me, so, you know, what's going on with Co Veronica or what are you working on now? Right. And the worst part is like, I never say anything first off. You know what I mean? Like everything I'm under is always an NDA. It's always off. shrouded in secrecy. Yep. It's, I, I really, you know, it's funny because since I did, you know, study political science and international affairs, right. and there was a little bit of a moment there where I was like, maybe I should work for the FBI right. or the CIA. And I'm like, oh, I, I do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much what I do totally. now. Um, but uh, unfortunately, no, with anything like Resident Evil, I haven't heard anything and uh, I would love to see more. Sure. So, I think a lot of, a um, lot of people would. Your, your performance as Claire is, is really amazing. I, I think I mentioned my friend showed me when I was back um, back east, where I'm from, he showed me Resident Evil 2, the remake, and it's so great, and you're so awesome in it. And thank you so much for doing this and coming on the podcast. 
It was great talking with you, Stephanie. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I mean, this is all super fun and it's always nice to, you know, um, I guess sometimes be able to, to give a voice for, like you said, you know, video games and, and giving that whole other perspective, which I think some people don't even understand the change and the differences that video games are making, right. which um, I don't know if this is something, you know, there was an organization who works with, um, you know, people that were in the military and they're able to actually help them get back into the normal world through video games, Really, you know? Yeah. There's also games that deal with depression, you know what I right. mean? And people are able to work through these, a lot of indie games that deal with depression and like work through this stuff through a video game. You know, there's just so much stuff that video games do that people don't understand. And there's a reason why people, those that do play connect so, right. um, so uh, closely to certain protagonists and things is because, you know, there's a story there. there there's, there's a story that they can connect to there. And there's also that interactivity element, which is makes it is why it's so funny that video games don't get the same level of press that films and, and music do. But I, I think I think we are starting to see a shift there for all the reasons that you mentioned. Oh, they will. And even if you see the, the direction that film is taking now, a lot of it is going further and further into CGI. They're using motion capture. There's tons of voiceover, yeah. you know? We've been doing that since animation time, you know? Um, and then also uh, some of the films are actually doing a um, uh, choose as you go kind Netflix, of situation, Netflix you know? Netflix introduced exactly the choose your own adventure element to yep. Black Mirror last year. Yep. You're absolutely right. So it, we're, we're totally going to be seeing it. It's just a matter of like people being comfortable and understanding that. And it's already happening. Yeah. So before you know it, everyone's going to end up being a gamer, right. you know, whether they realize it or not, yeah. you know. Um, but it's just, you know, it's just finding, finding what connects for you is where I think people understand games and then they start to really love it. Right. So I couldn't yeah. agree more. <laughs> Thanks again, Stephanie. This was awesome. Yeah. For sure. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So that's it. You heard it. The absolute latest update on what is going on with Code Veronica. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I know I did. Stephanie has such a cool story and she is making really big moves in the gaming industry. So if you aren't already, you can keep up with her online at Stephanie Panicello is her handle. And if you liked what you heard on the podcast today, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. Rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, or at the very least, just choose one. Rate, review, or subscribe. I know how busy everyone is playing video games, reading news online, um, registering to vote. So before I head off for the day, I would like to thank our sponsor team people once more. If you are in the gaming industry, or if you are looking for a job in gaming, definitely check them out at teampeople.tv or on Twitter at teampeopletv. So that's it for me today. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for listening. I hope to have you again next time. Until then, this has been the Creative Pursuits Podcast.